Good morning. Well, I'm sure you will agree with me. And if you don't, you can tell me afterwards. But uh, we have witnessed a, a rather unique event. Even if you allow me the expression, a dramatic event even. There's drama to it, if you like. There's a stage. There's something going on. The players, in the good sense of the word. A very unique event. We don't see it every Sunday. And so thinking about this, it should really have an impact on each one of us. It should challenge us. And in doing, in doing so, it should produce a reaction in our lives as well. If you're challenged, you should react. And so some of you, I guess, I don't know you all, many new people, new faces, would like to know what baptism is all about, maybe. Maybe non-Christians, friends that have come this morning, maybe Christians even, who don't know what baptism is all about. And my prayer is that you will react to that too as you're challenged. And then there are Christians, quite a few of us here, that have been baptized. And you might say, well, I know all about it. But my prayer also is that we, pointing the finger first at me, will be challenged too. And therefore, we react to it. Now, as you see, there are two different groups here. And I'm going to speak to both of them at the same time, because I know what might happen. One, one group might say, I'm going to switch off, fall asleep, till he actually directs himself to me. So it'll be both at the same time. So that will keep us on our toes. Now, why a proclamation without words? I hear you saying, some of you. Well, I chose that um, title because they have each given a testimony first. But you will have noticed, once they went into the water, one of them almost faster than she expected, there was silence from them. Not, not a word was spoken from that moment on. So, no words were spoken. Let me tell you what they were saying. What they were saying. Silently, but they were saying things. They were proclaiming something. They wanted us to listen in that sense of the silent words, listen to what they were saying silently down in the, in the water. So, let me transmit the words to you. Why did I get baptized? That you might have heard silently. And what does it all mean? That's what I want to go through briefly this morning. Let's see if this works. I think you'll have to put it on first. That's a good idea. There we go. Why were these six disciples baptized a few minutes ago? And I think you first would have listened, and some of them actually said it in their testimony, I am responding to a command. That's the first thing they've done after getting converted, of course. But having done so, they're now responding, obeying to God's command. And there are very good reasons this command is given, and we shall see them shortly. So first of all, baptism is a command from the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, to his followers. I'm going the wrong way. A command to his disciples and to his followers. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we see repeatedly this pattern where the disciples go and baptize disciples. Therefore, they are obeying God's command. In fact, both the disciples that are going and the disciples that are getting baptized, they're both obeying that command. So they received his word. Those are the people that are getting baptized and were baptized. And they were added to the church that day, 3,000 souls. That's quite a number, isn't it? And then again, but they believed what Philip had word, the, the word that he had preached to them about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. So, first of all, the command of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciple is what has taken these three, sorry, three, six disciples down into the waters. Now, the question is, who are disciples? You would have gathered that from what they have said, their testimonies, but some, as I say, some non-Christians would perhaps like to have a little bit of a more of an idea, have it repeated to them. So who are those who, making the use of their God-given will, have made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ? Those who've done that are disciples. They're not just expressing that God exists or Jesus exists and he is what he says he is. They're not just expressing that. What they're expressing is the confession of faith in Jesus Christ as the personal saviour and as the personal Lord. There's a relationship there, not just an odd belief. And that you would have heard from one of the testimonies as well. Some of them grew up, as I did, in a Christian family, a Christian church, missionary parents even. I knew God existed. They did as well. But they came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself. There's a personal relationship established. A little bit more of that in a few minutes. So we have witnessed six disciples responding to the Lord's call of obedience this morning. Now my question is, therefore, shouldn't it get us, some of us, getting us thinking? And the question from me to you is, why have I not obeyed my Lord's first command to me as his disciple? And let me ask it respectfully and kindly. My wife is looking at me, perhaps thinking, well, your level of empathy is quite low, and that is actually proven with an exam and all that. But let me ask you empathically, why haven't you done it? Well, you might say, I'm not a Baptist. Well, I would say, I was going to say that's, well, the good news is, but no. Uh, you're not a Baptist. But that is not the issue here. The issue here, it's all about being a disciple, not a Baptist disciple or a brethren disciple or any other denomination you wish to choose. The issue here is being a disciple. And as a disciple, my question is, why haven't you obeyed the God's, God's first command to you? Why have I not obeyed my Lord's first command to me as his disciples? That's the challenge we've had this morning. How do we react to that? Those who are thinking about it, never thought about it perhaps. How do you react to that? How will you answer that question? Oh, like, let, let me move on then. So you say we have seen six disciples that have obeyed the command of the Lord Jesus Christ and have got baptized. But some of you might say, what was all that about? They first 
talked to us, and then they went into the water, and they waited a few minutes whilst we sang, and then a few words from Pastor David, and then they were down in the water and up again, and we all clapped. What is all that about? What is the significance of baptism? Let me start answering that question by saying that baptism, as you have heard, and some of you might have missed it, hopefully not, baptism doesn't save them. Baptism only symbolizes a radical change that already happened in their lives. Those of us who are listening carefully would have heard that. They're not coming here to get saved. They are saved already. So you see, baptism is an outward physical act of a representation in quite dramatic style of an inward reality. If I were to take my wedding ring off, and in fact I haven't got one because I've lost it, you might laugh, but I was very sad about that, indeed. But the good news is I'm still married. Firstly, because my wife didn't say, you know, that's it. You have no care for marriage. You've lost your ring and off you go. I'm still married. And why? Because it does, the ring doesn't make marriage. The ring is basically proclaiming, or is it purpose is to proclaiming my faithfulness, commitment, and devotion to my wife. So having lost it doesn't mean I've lost all the other. You see the point? So if you see me without a ring now, you know what, is, what, what, what happened. I lost it. So similar baptism is proclaiming or a proclamation of an existing reality in the lives of these six disciples. So let's hear what they're saying. Let's hear again what they're saying to us this morning. We've said that already, haven't we? In baptism, I'm expressing an inward reality. That's the first thing. But they're also saying, in baptism, I'm proclaiming my faith in Jesus Christ. That is what I'm doing. I want to tell you I was once an enemy of God. I was once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's the first thing you would have listened to if you listened to the words that we haven't listened from them in their act of baptism. I want to tell you I was once an enemy. I want to tell you that God provided a way back for me. God shows his love to us in that while we were still sinners, still enemies, still alienated, still separated, he, Christ, died for us. I want to tell you as well that I have confessed and repented my sins. I was alienated. There is a way back. I have confessed and repented from my sins. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And if I confess my sins, or if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what they're saying that they've done in baptism. And I want to tell you as well that I'm now reconciled with God. I'm no longer his enemy. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. They were saying I was an enemy. 
I've turned around, I've confessed, I've repented. I am now reconciled. And not only that, actually, I'm now a child of God. I've been brought into his family. So we see these six disciples having obeyed the Lord and uh, his command. And they've made a public confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now let me ask ourselves, each one of us, me first of all. How is the public confession of our faith, my faith, your individual faith, in Jesus Christ as his saviour, stood the test of time in our lives? Is it still fresh? Is it still effective? Or has it lost some of its shine? We've seen baptism. We should be challenged. This is one of the questions. How do we react to that? May what we have witnessed a few minutes ago cause us to renew our commitment to making a public confession to our Lord Jesus Christ and to those around us. Maybe we part of that verse too as we, command, we follow God's commanders. Go and make disciples. So it's not just the disciples that are obeying. We have to do so as well. How is our public confession going? Has it lost its shine? Can we do much better? If I answer that to myself, which I have, it's obviously a big yes. It should be doing much better. Being baptized, I'm expressing an inward reality. Being baptized is a proclamation not just of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but my identification with Jesus Christ. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And Paul clearly here is stating that these verses... In this verse, is stating that the illustration of baptism is a clear illustration of the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. That is clear. But please notice the we and us in that verse too. Paul is making clear that we, those who have got baptized in the past, those who have got baptized this morning, are personally identifying with the greatest act in human history, which is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So these disciples this morning are telling us through the baptism just a few minutes ago, they're saying the following, I want to tell you I have died to my old nature. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So that's the first thing they're saying. Also, under the identification of Christ, with Christ, I have died to my own nature. What are they saying also? I want to tell you also that I have risen to new life. I'm not just united with Christ I'm not just 
and died to my own nature, but I've also risen to a brand new life. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. The worthlessness and purposelessness of my past life is dead, they're saying to us. It's gone. And I'm now alive in God. It's a different life. It's got worth. It's got purpose. It's got an objective. It's got a future. It's got a greater dimension to what it had before. So I've died to my own nature. I have risen to new life, they're saying to us. To us. But I also am telling you something else. I am inseparably linked to Jesus Christ. So that when God sees me, he does not see me apart from God. When he looks down, he's seeing me and Jesus. I am absolutely linked and inseparably linked to him. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And there's another verse I got here. It's not up there. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ who lives in me. I want to tell you, therefore, I am identified with Christ. I've died to my old nature. I have risen to a new life. And I am inseparably linked to Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, as we consider what they've said to us in the silent proclamation. Let me ask you ourselves, or let us ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, what do those around us, those who interact with us, those who observe our life and observe our behavior on a daily basis, not just here this morning, what do they see? Do they see much of ourselves? Do they see much of me? Or do they see more and mainly Christ's character in us? Is it something that we need to work harder at? Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what do they see? Do they see mainly me or do they see mainly Christ? James, when somebody is looking at himself in the mirror, has something to say about that. And we're looking at ourselves in the mirror this morning when we ask ourselves these questions. And basically James in his first chapter is saying, you know, when you look at yourself into the mirror, be doers, if you allow me to paraphrase it that way, instead of just walking away. We had a great meeting this morning. What a lovely occasion to see six young ladies baptizing and testifying of the Lord. And we're off. When we look ourselves in the mirror, let's be doers. What are they seeing? Are they seeing me? What are you seeing in me? You might say, well, Tim, that depends on the day, of course, and the circumstances. And when you're squeezed, mm, what comes out is not very nice. You are certainly a case of work in progress. 
and I wouldn't disagree with that, but I don't think I'm alone. So let's look ourselves in the mirror and let's be doers. And finally, what these six disciples have told us in this silent proclamation this morning here is that I want to tell you that now my life is different. I am proclaiming a future with Jesus Christ. I have died. I have come back to life. It's a new life in Jesus. I am wrapped up with him. I am clothed with him. But there's a future life too. And I want to tell you, I heard these young ladies this morning, I have risen to a new life, wrapped up with Jesus, but I'm heading also from this world. Life is now different. If you have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. My life is different. I am right up there with, with Christ. But I'm also going somewhere. I'm heading on from here. I'm on a journey that will eventually take me beyond this physical world and physical body to an eternal life, to heaven itself. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. I'm going somewhere the same. I've risen with Christ and I'm on a journey. This life is not the purpose and end all of life. You see, our citizenship is in heaven. We're not citizens of this world. We are in this world, but not of this world, as the word says. And we are eagerly awaiting a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, just to finish, let me ask again, brothers and sisters, how am I living my life during this journey to heaven? Because we are citizens of somewhere else. How are we living our lives during this journey? Am I living, as the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God? Is that what I'm doing as I travel? Because I'm not a citizen here and I'm going to where I belong. Or am I busy with my own plans, aspirations and desires? which one day will pass away. And the Apostle Paul, John reminds us of this. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. John 2, 1 John 2, 17. So how am I doing in my life? How am I living my life as I journey to heaven? Heaven being where the Lord has prepared a place for us. Heaven is a relationship with the Lord in his greatest dimension. How are we doing that? How do I respond to that questions? To all these questions and that one now. I hope we have been challenged by what we've seen this morning and their testimonies of these six young ladies in their proclamation of the relationship with their Lord. 
and may we react as we've been challenged to answer these questions. Now we have all, or we all enjoy a relationship with the Lord, and now, in a few seconds, we will observe another of his commands, the Lord's Supper, which is another proclamation. We've had one this morning, we will have another one now. They have proclaimed the relationship, we're going to proclaim his death until he comes as we take of the cup of, and of the bread. May the Lord bless what we've seen this morning and may we react to his word. Amen. <laughs>